Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. Here's what I heard the other day. This man walks into a butcher store, right? And he goes to the butcher, are you a gambling man? And the butcher looks at him, yeah, I'm a gambling man. And the guy goes, all right, well, I'll bet you 50 bucks. You can't touch that meat up there hanging from the hook. And the butcher says, no, I'm not, I'm not going to bet on that. So the guy says, what? I thought you were a gambling man. And the butcher says, yeah, but the stakes are too high. I'm Brendan Noonan. I'm Rico Galliano. And from 89.3 KPCC in Los Angeles, this is the Dinner Party Download, the show that gives you talking points and bon mots to help you win your next dinner party. This week's icebreaker came from Chad Brown. He's a DJ known around the world as the Lonesome Cowboy. Thanks, Chad. And later, we'll be talking with our guest of honor, Kevin Barnes, of revered indie band of Montreal. But first, as with any dinner party, we start off with small talk. You're going to be talking about the week's news at this weekend's party. Who better to tell you which news is worth bringing up than the people who report it? So as usual, we took a stroll around the Marketplace offices and spoke to some public radio superstars. Renita Jablonski, Marketplace reporter and occasional host for The Morning Report. What's your story going to be this weekend? So we knew that this huge kosher meatpacking plant in Iowa shut down. They weren't being very kosher to their workers, right? Exactly. So there was already a kosher beef shortage, but now apparently kosher turkeys are double the price this year. This plan accounted for like 40% of kosher turkeys. <laughs> It just occurred to me that a kosher turkey could protect itself from slaughter by covering itself with cheese. <laughs> I don't know if that's good. <laughs> Stacey Vanek-Smith, senior reporter at Marketplace. I understand you have an important turkey news item as well. Turkey 2.0. Tell me more. So Turkey 2.0 is sort of the natural extension of the famous Butterball turkey helpline. They are going all high-tech, so they have turkey texts that you can get. Turkey texts? Yes. It will ping your phone when you're supposed to take your turkey out of the freezer. You can text in temperature questions. But how come like there's not like a VCR program or hotline or something? like You have to pay for tech support for Apple. Well, but they get a lot of free publicity out of it. But we wouldn't fall for that, would we, Stacey? <laughs> ben Adair, senior correspondent at Weekend America. What's the story of the week for you? I haven't seen this anywhere, and I can't believe that after 17 years of careful planning and negotiation, China is going to become a democracy. I think you were t I think you were referring to Chinese democracy, the new Guns N' Roses album, which is finally coming out this week after 16 years. China's not becoming a democracy? No, it's a Guns N' Roses album. Well, who cares about that? And now, time for cocktails. This is the part of the show where we tell you something that happened this week in history and then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's our famed history lesson with booze. First, the history. This week back in 1877, Thomas Edison announced he'd made the first functional recording device, the phonograph. So we have him to thank for our day jobs. Now the folks at your dinner party will know what a phonograph is, most of them anyway. Our friend Michelle Philippi tells us a few things they won't know. The first recording, Thomas Edison reading, Mary had a little lamb. Mary had a little lamb, its feet was white as snow, and everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. Not much worse quality than your average MP3, right? Those early Edison recordings were embossed on tinfoil cylinders. After a few plays on a phonograph, they'd be shredded, and only trained experts could operate the thing. Still, Edison had big plans for his invention. He figured it'd be used to record phone messages, and oh yeah, that it might be cool for listening to recorded music. 
But the public got over the Gizmo's novelty pretty fast, and so did Edison. He soon turned his attention to something called the light bulb. Years later, Edison got back on the recording game and found stiff competition, especially from this punk, Emil Berliner. His gramophone etched sound on weird flat discs instead of cylinders. There ensued the first VHS or beta-style format war, and discs turned out to be VHS. But Edison took it in stride. He phased out cylinders and made his phonographs disc compatible. Phonographs remained his favorite invention. He even chose which music got recorded for them, even though he was pretty much deaf, which could be why the business tanked in 1929. So that's the history. Now for the drink to serve with it. On the line is Aidan Demarest. He is talking to me from, yes, the Edison Bar in downtown Los Angeles, where he is beverage director. And Aiden, firstly, I understand you guys serve some drinks in one of Thomas Edison's inventions? <laughs> yes, we serve absinthe cocktails in light bulbs. So there's some sort of electric fixation going on here. Yes, we are down inside of a generator room of the first electrified building downtown. Aha. Uh-huh. So uh, how many times a day does somebody have a few of these light bulb drinks and then say they're totally lit? <laughs> Right? Yeah, sorry. I don't hear it all that often. I don't believe you. But you are going to uh, tell us today about a drink uh, that's on your menu, correct? Yes. Our signature drink is the Edison. So how is this thing made? It's made with our own special blend of Woodford Reserve, which we went to Kentucky and batched. Woodford Reserve, that's a bourbon, right? Yes. And then we add a little pear liqueur, fresh pear juice, and then we do a little splash of lemon juice, and that's the drink. That sounds delicious. So, uh, All right, since this all began with the story of the phonograph, if you tell me your favorite record, I will spin it for you right now. Oh, really? You say record, I can't even think back that far. <laughs> I think I got a thing for Billie Holiday. Right. I have a bunch of Billie Holiday records that I actually play. Here it comes. Thanks, man. I jumped out of the frying pan and right into the fire when I lost me a cheating man. No, it seems like drinking out of a light bulb would be really hard. You could never put your drink down, (laughs) which isn't really a problem for me. (laughs) Unless it's a fluorescent bulb. What? Think about it. Anyway, (laughs) folks, if this is all going by too fast for you, never fear. You can download a cheat sheet with all the info from the show. It's at dinnerpartydownload.com. Our guest of honor this week is Kevin Barnes of the Band of Montreal, who are actually of Athens, Georgia, where they formed 10 years ago. Kevin, I came up with the description, kind of uh, an homage to the Rococo nature of your music. Uh, Tell me what you think. It's kind of evolved into this avant sex pop that tends towards grandiosity. (laughs) Sure, that's as good as any other description of it, I guess. Well, how would you describe it to someone who's never heard your music at all before? Um, Well, I usually just say sexualian. (laughs) So describe the sexualian sound. Liberated sexually. There aren't any gender roles that you necessarily have to like stay in line with. The music is pretty liberated too, and it shifts from different styles. Yeah, I mean, really, I just find it really exciting and interesting to work that way, to just put the sort of patchwork together, like pop music collage. My lover, I've been donating time to review all the misinterpretations that define Kevin, we have 
two kind of standard questions that we ask. The first is, what's one question you're tired of being asked in interviews? Probably the one that I find most annoying is, is the Outback Steakhouse question. Your song or a facsimile of your song appeared in an Outback Steakhouse commercial, right? Yeah, it was like they took the melody line and, and wrote a jingle out of it. And uh, certain segments of the indie music world frown upon selling music to commercials. Yeah, it's pretty much the thing. It's like everyone that is sort of a hater is so excited to have that at their disposal, you know? So whenever they get to use it, they take advantage. Well, the second thing we ask of our guests is, we ask them to tell us something we don't know, something that uh, they've never shared in an interview before. Um, well, this is kind of, uh, you know, out of left field, but I've been thinking about LeBron James a lot. <laughs> LeBron James, the Cleveland basketball player? I just don't understand why um, he doesn't seem to care at all about being loyal to the Cleveland sports teams, you know? Like, he'll go, he'll go see a Cleveland Indians game, they're playing the Yankees, and he'll wear a Yankees hat. I mean, I just think that's crazy. From Sexualian to NBA basketball, you're quite the renaissance man. What do you say? Do you think you could uh, take LeBron one-on-one? Um, maybe if I roofied him first. Of Montreal are on tour right now, and they are a sight to behold. They play Los Angeles at the Hollywood Palladium Saturday night, November 22nd. So we've met our guest of honor. That brings us to the main course, the part of the show where we teach you about food. All right, Brendan, imagine if everyone was exactly like you. Oh, that's easy. I do that all the time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, but turkeys don't have to imagine because every other turkey is like them. The turkeys you find at the grocery store are all broad-breasted whites. It's the most common breed of turkey. Even those, like, low-fat, honey-roasted Lunchable thingies at the at the store? And no, I think those boxes. are made of actual garbage. <laughs> but, there, but there are lots of other varieties of turkey, and Patrick Martins sells them through his company, Heritage Foods USA. And he's not just doing it to make money. It turns out he slaughters these turkeys to protect them. When you stop buying all these old varieties, farmers don't have the incentive to raise them and they actually are on the brink of going extinct. So what we have to do is eat them to save them. And do we get a word of thanks from them? I'm betting we don't. <laughs> um, but why save these species? I think a lot of people would say, hey, they're livestock, so it's not like they're essential to the ecosystem. Right. A safe food supply is a genetically diverse food supply. Like back in the old days, there was the um, Irish potato famine. It turned out that there were numerous varieties of tubers that would have survived the pathogen that blighted that whole country. Likewise, the turkey industry relies on only one genetic strain. It's possible that one pathogen comes along and wipes out the entire turkey supply. All right, so what kind of turkeys do you sell? These are like the oldest turkey genetics in the country, and they taste delicious. I mean, these are the true, like, what turkey should be. And how should a turkey be? Well, first of all, you need a knife to cut it. You know, you can't just cut it with a fork. The white meat remains very moist because these are healthy animals with, like, plenty of blood flow. And then the dark meat kind of tastes more like a steak. Really? In what way does it taste like steak? It's just more heavily marbled. It's rich. It's more complex. It has an aftertaste. So it's ironically the first meat in history that doesn't taste like chicken. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It has such a different taste. Do you prepare it the same way? Yeah, I would say cook the meat until the juice runs clear. No brining necessarily in light preparations like lemon, spices. Like it doesn't need maple syrup sauce to make it tasty. Okay, but for real, like I get to save a species and it tastes better. Yeah, it's an all-around good thing. You can do well while still being gluttonous. You can have your turkey and eat it too. Yes, exactly. Well said. I 
Are you going on Thanksgiving Day to those family celebrations? Wait a second, is that Ray Davies? It is indeed. <laughs> Why is a Brit singing about Thanksgiving? It's actually the whole album is sort of a look at America from a Britain's point of view. I thought the whole point of Thanksgiving was so we could eat without the Brits staring at it. <laughs> <laughs> And that's the Dinner Party download for this week. Thanks to our researcher, Jessica Dial. And thanks to John Raby and Queen of Kim. You should check out their show off-ramp at kpcc.org. We leave you, as always, with One for the Road, a song to play on your way to or departing from this weekend's dinner party. The band is called Little Joy, and actually, Rico, they're named after the most aptly named bar in Los Angeles. The song is called Brand New Start. Bon appetit. Galliano. And I'm Brendan Noonan. That's the Butterball Hotline. What do they want? Podcast is done.